If you would, please go ahead and be opening your Bible to the Old Testament prophet Haggai. The A is silent, Haggai. And uh, we'll continue this series on the Minor Prophets today. He's one of your last books in the Old Testament. We have three prophets remaining in this series. Now, let me uh, help you understand the message of Haggai by asking you a question. How many of you have ever procrastinated at all? Anybody? And sometimes it creates problems, doesn't it? There was a lady out in St. Louis a few years ago. She saw some bees flying in the, you know, the air duct on the eve of her house. Bees flying in and out of the attic. And she said it's only a few of them, so she didn't worry about it. Didn't pay much attention, didn't do anything. And all summer those bees kept flying in and out of her attic. And a few months later, she was in her house one day when inside one of the bedrooms, the ceiling collapsed from the weight of a beehive. The moisture, the honey, uh, made the sheetrock moist, and it weakened it, and then that hive gave way, and it just collapsed into the room, and thousands of bees swarmed through her house. Those beehives in someone's attic can hold as many as 100 thousand bees have left unattended. Can you imagine? Well, her procrastination <laughs> created a real a problem, and sometimes it, it does for us. We know from research as well as personal experience that procrastination can cost us money. It uh, can hurt relationships, create conflict and problems. Procrastination can interfere with your performance at work and hinder your career and while all of us procrastinate at times about 20 percent of us about one out of five are habitual chronic procrastinators that may be you you may be one of those 20 percent and just about everybody who is a chronic procrastinator wants to stop procrastinating they want to change the problem is they don't seem to be able to they try, but they, they fail. One psychologist has said that habits, now listen to this, habits become non-conscious brain processes. In other words, you develop a habit, and it's like it, 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 it writes a, a, a program in your brain, and you just unconsciously follow that program over and over and over. That same psychologist went on to say, when procrastination becomes chronic, the person is essentially running on autopilot. It's just what they do. And while procrastination can be a problem in so many areas of our life, here's what I want you to think about for a few moments. We're going to talk about this today. Procrastination can be a really big problem in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual procrastination has very real consequences to your spiritual life. When God is speaking to us, directing us, asking things of us, and we, we say one day I will, we, we procrastinate spiritually, the consequences can be very, very serious. Now, we all, we all know when it comes to people who don't know Jesus, people who are lost, we've heard them say before, you know, one day I'm going to become a Christian. You've, taught, you've invited somebody to church, and they say, well, I'll come, and they point to the future. 
You pray for them, you talk to them about Jesus, and they say, you know, I, I know I need to do that. I'm, I'm not quite ready yet, but I'm going to. One day I will. They, pro- they procrastinate salvation. And the problem is most people who procrastinate, who put off getting saved, never get saved. And what it costs them is eternity in hell, correct? But what about those of us who are saved? We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you ever said to yourself as a Christian, you know, I really need to start doing such and such. As a follower of Christ, I really need to change that in my life. I need to get better at this. I need to do that. I I was reading the Bible the other day and God showed me, you ever said, I need to, I'm going to, but it's five years down the road and your prayer life's still no better. It's it's 10 years down the road and you still haven't witnessed to that cousin who's lost that you've been concerned about for a decade and said, one day I'm going to share the gospel with them. You've been been living in that neighborhood for four years and you said, I I need to meet that neighbor. I need to invite that neighbor to church. And, And it's four years on and you still haven't met them. You still haven't invited them to church. You said, I'm going to start reading the Bible more. And you've been saying that for 15 years. See, spiritual procrastination is a real problem among the people of God. And maybe it's a problem in your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. doesn't mean you're doing bad things. It just means that God has this work he's wanting to do in your life to make you a stronger Christian, to make you a more obedient Christian. And you keep putting off what God's trying to do. Is that you? Is there an area in your life where you say, preacher, you're talking about me? Well, how do you feel about that? How do you think God feels about that? Well, Haggai, his message to the people of Israel speaks to us about this issue. See, after the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and Judah and started in 606 B.C. all the way through 587 B.C. through three different invasions deporting thousands of the citizens, for the next few decades they were slaves living in Babylon. And after Persia, and you, you have the timeline in your insert if you want to look at it, after Persia conquered Babylon, Cyrus, the king of Persia, reversed the Babylonian uh, foreign policy, if you will, and, and, and allowed those exiles who wanted to, to return to their homeland. And under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who was appointed governor of Judah, and Joshua, or in other books, he's Jeshua, the high priest at that time, 40-some thousand of them returned to Palestine. Haggai is the first of three what we call post-exilic prophets, the first of three prophets who preached to those exiles that returned. Haggai, Zechariah, and about a century later, Malachi. If you want to read more about their stories, you read the historical books in the Old Testament of Ezra and Nehemiah, and for Haggai in particular, the book of Ezra, because he's writing about the history of the time when Haggai It's preaching. So if you want to do a little Bible study later, I suggest you do that. But look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the second year of Darius the king, 
On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. It came by him through Haggai to Zerubbabel, who was the governor, and Joshua, who was the high priest. Now, we're able to date Haggai precisely because we know the exact dates of Darius' reign. It's about 16 years or so after the exiles had returned to the promised land, that small group of them. And, and God raises up Haggai to preach to them. And his, he preaches four messages. His book, these two chapters, are simply four different sermons he preached between September and December of the year 520 B.C. We can nail it down to the exact season of the year. So a brief ministry recorded in this Old Testament prophetic, prophetic book. And he's, he's preaching to the governor and to the high priest and ultimately to the people. And here's the problem. Look at verse 2. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people. Now, by the way, when God, said, when God chooses to refer to his people as this people instead of my people, you know there's a problem, right? How many of you married couples have, have you've ever had problems with your child and, you, and husbands you said to your wife, that boy of yours? Okay, that's sort of the, the, the situation here. God saying this people, <laughs> they're his, but right now he's saying this people. <laughs> he's a little put out. This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now you remember in 587, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. Just eradicated it. Left it in rubble. Now this group has returned, and when they first got back, they started working on it, but after a start, they stopped, and for 16 years didn't do anything. And so God is talking to them about it, and he says, you're saying it's not time yet. That's the problem. Now, the reason for the problem is verses 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, the temple, lies desolate? And by the way, most Jews didn't live in paneled houses. That mean, means they brought wood from Lebanon in and built some really nice houses for themselves. So they were busy taking care of themselves and not the things of God. Verse 9. Verse 9, we see how God reacts to that. He said, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I'll blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house which lies desolate. While each of you runs to his own house. In other words, God, God is saying, saying, my reaction is, I'm not, I'm not going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult for you to succeed at what you want to succeed at. Because you're ignoring my stuff. Spending all your time doing your stuff. 
And God gives them instruction in verses 7 and 8. He says, consider your ways. In fact, twice he says that in this chapter. Consider your ways. You need to think about it, look at it, examine it, pay attention. And then, verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and glorified. He said, get busy, change. And what was their response? Chapter 1, verse 12, Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. All the words of Haggai the prophet. At the end of verse 12, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. How did they show reverence for the Lord? But doing what he told them to do. A ceasing to make excuses, getting busy, simply doing what God told them to do. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Now that's that's the story. The chapters two, chapter two is some more sermons to encourage them in the building process, if you will. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. These were not bad people. They were not bad followers of God. In fact, they were they were actually dedicated. Do you know we can be dedicated and disobedient at the same time? They were dedicated to God. They were dedicated to the Lord. How do I know that? They're the remnant. You know what that means? They're the minority. When the Assyrians first in 722 conquered the northern kingdom and deported the population, and then later through those three invasions, the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and deported the population resettling most of them in parts of Babylon where they integrated themselves into society, made a good life for themselves. Once Persia conquered Babylon and said to the Jewish people, you can go back, you can go home, you can return to the promised land. You know what most of the people did? Stayed in Babylon. The overwhelming majority stayed in Babylon. It was a minority. It was the remnant, the remnant rather, that, that left Babylon and went back to the promised land. And when they went back, guess what? They, weren't, they were not going back to an oasis. They, they were going back to a, a devastated country because Babylon not only destroyed Jerusalem, Babylon destroyed all the small towns and villages in the country. They were going back to a place that was in, in ruins where they had to, had to start over and rebuild everything. They, they were going back to a place where they would have to build an economy from scratch. One of the problems with developing countries today is it's not easy to develop an economy from scratch. It's a challenge in our world today, right? Well, it was a real problem for them. So don't don't have this idealistic image. They were going back to a you know to a an easy way of life, going back to an easy place to live. They were going back to a hard place and a hard life, but going back to God's place and God's life for the Jewish people. You see, it's it's this false teaching that says when you're in the will of God, it's always easy, it's always comfortable, it's always convenient. Sometimes God calls you and me to do the hard stuff. 
Sometimes God calls us to obey Him in the midst of challenging and difficult circumstances. The will of God is not always the easiest way, not always the most prosperous way, but it's always the right way. So I'm going to be careful not to criticize them too much because at least they were dedicated enough to go back and try. And I think that's a picture of a lot of us. We care about God, care about the things of God. But there's more God wants to do, and we have this habit of putting it off, this habit of procrastinating, of starting and then giving up. Not following through, not finishing. See, in the book of Ezra, when we know when Zerubbabel led that remnant back, one of the, some of the first things they did was that they took up an offering, and it was a generous offering, so they could pay masons and stuff and buy some materials to rebuild the temple. They they laid the foundation, they built the foundation of the temple, and. The altar that was out in the courtyard where they sacrificed the animals, they rebuilt it. Put it they, they put a new altar on the foundation where the old one had stood and reinstituted the daily sacrifices in the temple courtyard. We know that from Ezra. They, they did all of that. But then all the work stopped for 16 years. Now, when you, you pick up the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 16 years is minuscule. But in a person's life, 16 years is a lot. In fact, most of the influence you're going to have on your children will happen in those 16 years, right? Most of the influence you're going to have in your grandchildren's lives will happen in those first 16 years of their lives. That's, that's, a, that's a big period. That's a big moment in a human's life. 16 years. A lot happens in 16 years. Or if we procrastinate, a lot does not happen. A lot of years end up, end up being, being, so to speak, wasted. Spiritual paralysis. Accepting spiritual mediocrity because when they laid the foundation of the temple and built that altar out in the courtyard so they could have daily sacrifices, they started going to the temple mount. They and and, and they got used. Listen to this. They became familiar with. They they got used to offering sacrifices on the altar in the courtyard. And while they were offering those sacrifices and praying to God, they could look around and see the ruins of the old temple. And not enough motivation to do anything about it. Comfortable with the religious life they had at that moment. Monisa and I are having the inside of our house painted. Now, I remember walking in the other day in one particular room and looking, talking, thinking, wow, I didn't know that room had been that dirty. <laughs> you know how you get so familiar with it day after day, month after month, year after year, and you don't realize that maybe it, it, it's, it's a little bit dirty until you put a fresh coat of paint on that white ceiling? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Well, that same thing happens in our walk with Jesus. It happens in our spiritual lives. It happened to them. They got used to offering the sacrifices on the altar amidst the rubble. Became sort of satisfied. Oh, I'm sure in the back of their mind they said, you know, we need to do something about that someday. But for 16 years, someday did not come. Now, why, why did that happen? Why does that happen in our lives spiritually? Well, there's two reasons it happened to them, and I think they're the same two reasons it normally happens to us. Here's the first one. Life gets hard, doesn't it? I mean, life just sometimes life just gets hard. And it drains you and takes energy. See, after they laid the foundation, some of the neighboring nations and neighboring tribes started opposing them. Go, go read the book of Ezra. The, these, these neighbors actually employed professionals to create problems. Um, think of it as, as somebody hiring a professional to go and create problems for you down at City Hall with the building inspector. Think of, think of it as somebody hiring professionals to go to the state legislature or go to D.C. And, 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 and work to see that you don't get funding for that project. And so they started sending these professionals over to Persia to try to get Persia to not support these Jews rebuilding the temple. These neighbors did everything they could to discourage them and make it hard for them. And they even threatened them and frightened them. See, here, here's the thing. Life seldom makes it easy for you to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Life seldom makes it easy for you to have time to pray and read the Bible. Seldom makes it easy for you to have time to go and meet your neighbors and talk to them about Christ. Our own bodies. Even though we're saved and have a spiritual nature, we still have sinful bodies and they get sick and they get tired and they hurt. Life gets hard. Sometimes these challenges cause us to procrastinate spiritual things, really important things, don't they? There's a second reason they procrastinated, and I think it's true of us as well. Not only does life get hard, but brothers and sisters, life gets busy. Life gets busy. You see, once they started, they said, oh, that's a good start. Then what did they do? They got busy building their own homes, their own lives. And they built some really nice houses, paneled houses. Nothing wrong with building houses, right? Nothing wrong with with focusing on your family and focusing on those things that are important to you and those things that make you happy unless they keep you from doing the things of God. Unless you're doing them in such a way you don't have time for God's stuff. You're, You're so busy with good things you don't have time for God's things. Then... Your busyness is a problem. It's a problem for you spiritually. See, the things the things you and I enjoy most are the things that sometimes get in the way of our spiritual life. 
having fun, your hobbies, ball games, your social life, your kids, your friends, all of those are good. But if you become like this remnant and say, I'm going to invest so much energy, so many resources, so much of my time in those things, there's, there's practically nothing left over for God but a few routine things, that's a problem. That's a problem. You see, here's what, here's what we do sometimes. I'm, I want to explain it this way. We give God the leftovers. Now, yesterday, I decided I want a big old pot of beans. So I mixed pinto beans, northern white beans, and cranberry beans. And a big old pot with some ham hock. I cooked that. I fixed some kraut, some turkey kielbasa, and my beautiful wife fixed me a big old pan of cornbread. And last night, I was a happy man. And today, I'm going to enjoy the leftovers. It's a good day for that. <laughs> See, I like leftovers. Any of you ever eat leftovers? God doesn't like leftovers. God does not deserve our leftovers. You understand the tithe? Because when, when, when a preacher says the word tithe, the first thing that comes to mind is 10%. But the tithe is more than 10%. Because do you know in the Bible the tithe is not simply 10%. The tithe is the first tenth of the 100%. Not the leftovers. The first. Whatever we give God is not to be what's on the tail end. It's to be on the front end. It's the first, not the last. It's the original pot. It's not the leftovers. And if we're so busy with all our stuff, all God gets is the leftovers. We're too busy. We have a spiritual problem. And through the prophet Haggai, God says to you and me, consider your ways. Think about it. And then change them. Change them. One of the consequences for them were all those lost blessings. He, he talks to them in verse 6 and in verses 10 and following. He says, you do all this stuff. You make all this effort. You do all this work. And I'm withholding some blessings. You're missing out on some things that you don't even know you're missing out on. Because there's always a price to pay when God gets the leftovers in our lives. Now, one of the problems is, is, is that you and I tend to believe two lies. Here's the first lie we tend to believe. We believe the lie that good intentions is good enough. When they returned to the promised land, they had good intentions. <clears throat> How many times have you said about someone, well, he's, he, you know, he, he meant well, he's got a good, you know, good in, 
as if just having good intentions is enough. Good intentions is not the same thing as obedience. Good intentions matter. Don't get me wrong. They matter, right? They matter. But we all have good intentions quite often in life without ever following through and doing anything. Good intentions is not good enough. That's a lie from Satan. And it causes us to procrastinate month after month and and year after year. I've got good intentions, good intentions, but it's not enough. Now, in our relationships, good intentions. You know, I know I need to do better in how I treat her, how I treat him, how I do this, how I do that. Not enough. Good intentions. The second lie we believe is that a good start equals success. Now, you need a good start. But you also need a good finish and a good in the middle. Because a good start is not the same thing as being successful. There are a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of endeavors that start well and fail. Right? A good start does not equal success. They started well. They, they took up a large offering. They rebuilt the altar. They laid the foundation. But they weren't successful, were they? And so God says to them, consider your ways. You know what God did? He said, I'm going to send a preacher to you to wake you up. And so he raised up Haggai and Zechariah. God takes his word and he says, listen to me. Hear me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Sometimes we need God to give us just a good old swift kick in the you-know-what. Sometimes we just need God to come up and shake us and say, Hey, 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 wake up! You see, Satan's going to do everything he can to keep you from reading the Bible and having a consistent quiet time. Do everything he can to keep you from attending Sunday school. Keep you from do, do everything he can to keep you from consistently every week being in worship with your Bible, ready to hear from God. Why? Because he knows when you expose your heart, soul, and mind to the Word of God and to the voice of God, you change. This group of Jewish people lost 16 years. How how much time have you lost because you, you haven't acted on what God's been trying to say to you? You see, even if you're saved, you can still miss out. Even if you're saved, you can can waste years in spiritual mediocrity. 
spiritual paralysis. If that's you, what are you going to do about it? Well, obviously we need to confess and repent, ask forgiveness. But look at what Haggai says in verse 8. Here's what God tells him to tell the people. He said, go. Go up to the mountain and get some wood and build the house. See, sooner or later you've got to stop thinking about it. Stop praying about it. Stop talking about it. And just do it. Just do it. Because nothing's going to change in your life spiritually until you change the behavior. Good intentions won't change your behavior. They're important. Your will, surrendered to the will of God, changes behavior. So get busy and change things. What is that area in your spiritual life where you've been procrastinating? Can you name it? What is it? What is that thing God's been talking to you about and you, you've been saying, I'm going to, when this happens, one day in the future, I will. What is it? What have you been procrastinating spiritually? Today, will you make a commitment to do, to do, to do? And then when you get home from church today, start doing it. And by the way, whatever it is, you need to do it every day for the next month. Every day between now and January, if you're going to change that old habit and create a new one. Because if you don't do it every single day between now and January, you will not create a spiritual habit. The old disobedient habit will take back over your good intentions. Today. You can't start tomorrow. You got to start today. You can't start next week. You got to start today. You got to do something. Take some action right now. Let's stand. Father, as you speak to our hearts, help each of us right now to submit our will and our way to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.